Welcome to AudioPie's English Literature and Language Show. You can dip into huge chunks of over 19 series for free and learn on the go. Happy listening, everyone. For brave Macbeth, well, he deserves that name. Disdaining fortune with his brandished steel, which smoked with bloody execution, like Valor's minion carved out his passage till he faced the slave. Which ne'er shook hands nor bade farewell to him, till he unseamed him from the nave to the chaps and fixed his head upon our battlements. This is how we are told of Macbeth's actions in the midst of battle, as described by an injured soldier. Welcome to this episode, in which we cover Act One, Scene Two, and consider Shakespeare's second foreshadowing of Macbeth's arrival. In this scene, Act One, Scene Two, we meet King Duncan in the aftermath of the battle between Scotland and Norway. He hears about Macbeth's bravery, winning the day for the Scots from the injured soldier, and also of the betrayal of the Thane of Cawdor. Duncan orders the execution of the Thane of Cawdor and explains to his nobles that he will transfer this title onto Macbeth as a reward for his courage and nobility. It's another scene where we hear Macbeth mentioned, this time in more detail than when the witches prepare their meeting with him, and yet we don't meet him. So why does Shakespeare foreshadow his entrance like this? What do we learn about him? A good place to start is with the quotation with which we began this episode. The soldier uses the adjective "brave" to introduce Macbeth, and then reinforces it with "well, he deserves that name." He's desperate for his audience, the king, to appreciate Macbeth's courage and his actions. Well, that's true, of course, but look at what the soldier goes on to describe. Although Macbeth's actions are clearly patriotic, and he is brave in a battle, the description is still unsettling. There's a whole series of verbs in the quotation about violence. Macbeth's sword is brandished; the blade smoked. As he moves across the battlefield, he carved out his passage. We're given an image of a man cutting his way through men ruthlessly. The way he kills his opponent is disturbing. He unseamed him from the nave to the chaps. The description is inhuman, as though he is simply unzipping his enemy's whole body. And although the sergeant clearly admires this, I'm not sure that the audience has to. Well, if you're not convinced by his bravery, have a look at what the soldier says about what motivates Macbeth. He calls him Valor's minion. This means that he is a slave to valor, or honor, in other words. He is motivated entirely by the desire to do what is noble. It is clearly appropriate, as you say, to find him frightening and intimidating. But we are to understand that his reasons are entirely good. And admirable. I still think there's room for debate here. The soldier describes bloody execution, and at last Macbeth cuts off the head of his enemy and fixes it upon our battlements. Again, the pronoun "our" might imply that the soldier is delighted and full of admiration, but the references to execution and the public display of violence is dark and unpleasant. But perhaps that is my understanding in a modern context. You're right, of course, that for a Shakespearean audience, Macbeth would be a patriotic hero, 
More importantly, it's clear that Macbeth impresses the king himself. After the soldier finishes his description, Duncan gives two short exclamations. Oh, valiant cousin, worthy gentleman. The two adjectives, valiant and worthy, are full of praise, and the nouns cousin and gentleman are very flattering too. He plans to reward Macbeth, and rightly so, for his service to king and country. To reinforce the positive foreshadowing of the arrival of the eponymous character, he is contrasted at the end of this scene with the first Thane of Cawdor. Hang on, what was that fancy word you just used? Do you mean eponymous? It just refers to the character who gives their name to the title of the play. Macbeth is the eponymous character of the play Macbeth. Right, so Macbeth contrasts the first Thane of Cawdor. Duncan sends his nobleman, Ross, to order the execution of the current Thane of Cawdor. Go, pronounce his present death, and with his former title, greet Macbeth. The rhyme of death and Macbeth in this couplet could be argued to drive home the juxtaposition between the dishonoured first Thane and the honourable Macbeth. Macbeth is in favour and the former Thane is disgraced. At the same time, Macbeth's inheritance of this title from the disgraced, treacherous Thane of Cawdor does still associate him with the traitor. You could even argue that the rhyme of death and Macbeth associates the character with impending doom and violence. Shakespeare allows this interpretation with Duncan's final line in the scene. What he hath lost, noble Macbeth hath won. Again, on the surface, this is a straightforward juxtaposition between the two Thanes. One is dishonourable, one is honourable. One is a traitor, the other noble and loyal. However, the witches in Act 1, Scene 1 already reminded us about the proximity between winning and losing. Yes, they will meet again when the battle's lost and won. So it's possible to interpret Macbeth's inheritance of this title as something of a poisoned chalice. Victory and defeat are poised on a knife edge. And it is as easy to win as to lose. Certainly, Macbeth is associated by name with a traitor. Furthermore, although this time, on this particular day, Macbeth has won, he will later inevitably have to lose. The Jacobeans believed in a concept called the Wheel of Fortune. At any given point, you can be at the top of the wheel, succeeding, or at the bottom, failing. But the wheel continues to turn constantly. In Act 1, Macbeth is approaching the top of the wheel, but he will not remain there forever. In fact, the beheading of the enemy soldier that's described here foreshadows Macduff's beheading of Macbeth in Act 5. Eventually, Macbeth's own head will be mounted on the battlements of fate. Disturbingly, too, it's important to remember that this scene is not the first one in the play, and it doesn't exist in isolation. Exactly! This isn't the first time we have heard Macbeth's name, even if it is more positive than when the witches mention him, and the scene that follows this depicts Macbeth meeting the three witches on the heath. Even if Duncan and the injured soldier are overwhelmingly impressed by him, Shakespeare does not allow the audience to be. To summarise then, what we've learnt about Macbeth is that he is a loyal, noble soldier 
who embraces bloodshed and violence in his pursuit of honour. Before we continue, spend some time reflecting on whether you think later on in the play Macbeth subverts the soldier's first description of him, or whether you think Macbeth continues to conform to the way his entrance has been foreshadowed. That's all for this pod. See you next time. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to search for and listen to the next episode in the series to build your topic knowledge. Hit the Acast Plus link in the show description to become a premium supporter and unlock access to every episode in every series for as long as you need. We also make GCSE and A-level content for history, RE, sociology and psychology. Happy listening, everyone.